Well, good morning. It's uh, great to be with you uh, today. Uh, my name is Brian, and I get to do lots of the preaching and leadership and outreach things here around uh, Highland Park. And uh, it's just so good. We've been studying through the book of John, and we keep coming back to this theme in the book of John that says you can choose a path that leads to death or a path that leads to life. And so if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go ahead and open them to John chapter 20. And that's where we're going to be today. I'm so excited to have so many of you here today. We have uh, adults, we have students. Uh, I see lots of children here and glad to have all of you. And I really want to speak to all of you today. But more importantly, I believe that God wants to speak to all of us today. And just to begin, I'd like to see a a raise of hands. How many of you, I'm curious, have an aquarium in your house or at your office? You got some fish. Okay, we see some aquarium people. So you guys can identify with me. So uh, a couple months ago, there was this teenage boy, like kind of late teens, 18, 19 or so, and he had an aquarium in his room, and his sister, who was also a teenager, had one in her room, and he decided he was going to play a prank on her. And so he went into her room when she wasn't there, and he took her goldfish and replaced them with carrots to see if she would notice. And he put this picture on Twitter. Can you tell the difference? I don't know if you can tell, but one of those is goldfish, and one of those is baby carrots. And, and after the first day, um, he went and checked, and she had fed the goldfish, which were just carrots, but had not noticed. The second day, again, she feeds the carrots, thinking they're goldfish, does not. Third day, fourth day, it just goes on. She never noticed that her goldfish had turned into carrots. I think she was maybe too busy with her social life or something instead of paying attention to her goldfish. But here's what we know. Goldfish can't turn into carrots. And we also know that dead people can't turn into alive people usually. So today you were given a card when you walked in, just that little small white card and a sharpie or pen. And I just want to ask you that as I'm preaching today, I'd like you to kind of be churning in the back of your mind, what is it that keeps you from believing? Maybe you're here today and you don't really believe in Jesus. You might say you kind of do, but it's not really reflected in your life. You haven't fully embraced following Christ. So Just be thinking about what is it that's keeping you from believing. Maybe uh, you used to be there, but now you believe. And I'd like you to be thinking about what is it that has kept me in the past from believing? Maybe it's something that still kind of sneaks up on you now and then and kind of whispers, are you sure you really want to believe in that? What is it? Is it somebody? Is it some hurt? Uh, Is it some wound from your past? Is it some bit of evidence? Just be thinking about what, what might it be that could keep you from believing, past, present, or future. And I want to begin today just in our text from John chapter 20, from this great passage. I'm going to begin in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb And we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. 
He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Just like that. He saw and believed. And as we read even the next verse and go on, he probably did not have it all figured out quite yet, but he believed something about Jesus had died and now he rose again. Some of you can identify with John. The first time you heard the gospel, you said, I am all in. I believe it. It's not because you're gullible or foolish. It's because you're an early adapter. (laughs) When you first heard the gospel, you were like, that makes sense of all these questions I've been asking. And now I hear it and I believe. And you just knew and you just accepted right then. That's some of you. First time you heard it. You were in and you believed and you realized the truth. Micah Foreman, a friend of mine who was here just last week, was telling uh, our missions team a story about being in Cambodia. Uh, they were there uh, with this group of ladies from Cambodia. And these group, this group of ladies really had no idea who God was, who Jesus was, the gospel. And they were sitting there with them telling them Bible stories that they felt like were important for them. And they uh, told them a story about uh, God coming to this widow in the days of Elijah and, and uh, saving her and her child from hunger and providing for them and that God cares uh, for these women. And as they're telling the story, the women in this circle just begin bawling and crying. And they're not sure why. And when they finished the story, they said, did, did we say something wrong? What, what happened that you're so emotional? And they said, if only we would have known. If only we would have known that God loved us and that God could provide for us. We would have never sold our children into slavery. Wow. Believing makes all the difference in the world. Mary Magdalene, she is the first one who sees the empty tomb, but she's kind of overcome with the emotion, and she's scared, and she's angry, and she's confused, and she runs and tells the others, and she comes back. And then after this has happened, she's out walking, and she's still so troubled, and Jesus comes to her, and she sees him, but she's so troubled, she doesn't even recognize him until Jesus finally says her name, Mary, Mary. And at that moment, she believes. She realizes it's him. Some of you, you came to Christ and believed at the same moment tears were coming down your face. Oftentimes, people believe in Jesus at the darkest hour of their life. This was a dark hour for Mary. And Jesus comes and he calls her by name. And I want to tell you, if you come with sadness in your heart, if grief has overtaken you and you just come and you feel troubled, I want you to know something about Jesus. He calls you by your name. He knows you. He knows your troubles. He knows your problems. And he can do something about them. He came to provide for you and to care for you and to love you. And you can trust and believe him. Some of you are going to be like Mary. Maybe you did not recognize it right at the first, but in your time of trouble, you heard Jesus call you by name, and you believed, and it changed everything for you.
then Jesus, he comes to the disciples, and they're locked up in this room, and you would be too. If you were scared, if you were afraid for your life, you're afraid that the next person who comes and knocks on the door is going to arrest you and crucify you too. So they're locked up, they're huddled together, they're confused and they're upset and all of those emotions. And Jesus comes and we're not sure why, but he chooses to, to not knock. Maybe he thought, if I knock, I'm going to scare him to death. You know, like if you're huddled with people playing hide and go seek and somebody bangs on the door, you're going to like jump and scream. And, and maybe he thinks, well, maybe I should not try to rattle the door. That would scare them. So Jesus just decides, I'm just going to walk in through the wall. Surely that won't trouble them. <laughs> and he does. We don't know if something was different about Jesus' kind of post-resurrection body or if he just did this miracle. Uh, but we know it was really Jesus because he allows them to see his hands and touch and feel where he had been crucified and the wounds were. And the disciples in that moment, in that room, they all believed. Well, all but one. Thomas wasn't there. He wasn't with them. And so when the other disciples, after having this moment with Jesus here in this room, uh, when Jesus leaves, they go and they find Thomas. They say, we got to find Thomas. And they, and they tell Thomas, Thomas, Jesus is alive. He's not dead anymore. He rose from the dead. And Thomas, he's not having it. He's a little more of a skeptic than that. Look at verse 25, what he says. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God, he believes. Thomas, he, he doubted at first. He needed more evidence. He was a skeptic. He probably would have been a good science teacher. You know, he, he needed to see all of the evidence before he wanted to believe. And sometimes we give Thomas a hard time, but the truth is, this describes many of us, right? Some of you believe in Jesus today, but you can look back at your past and think there was a long time where I was this skeptic. I wanted more evidence, more evidence, more evidence. And finally, God broke through to me and I accepted him. If you're the kind of person, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I need more evidence still. I just want to be really honest with you. I have bad news and good news. The bad news is that it's possible for someone to have all the evidence in the world and still not believe. I mean, there were people who killed Jesus. They saw him dead. They saw him dying on the cross and then dead. And they saw him put into the tomb. And then they saw him come out of the tomb and walking around and talking with people and being like he was before. And they still did not believe. What does that tell you about evidence? Sometimes there's never enough evidence for a heart that's set on disbelief. And if your heart and you're thinking, there's no way I'm ever going to believe, yeah, you're probably right. Because evidence can't overcome a heart that's set on disbelief. But I have good news too. That many people used to be there and they used to say, I need more evidence. And they found it. 
They, they looked through the Gospels and they said, wow, these books have integrity and truth to them. And there's nothing like them. And we see all through Scripture, uh, this, all of how this Bible was put together. And then we just look at the life of Jesus, that historically, that this man really did live. And he really did die. And then on the third day, rose from the dead. It really happened. And his disciples who wrote this about him, if you were trying to concoct a story about Jesus, you would make yourself out to be the hero. What do they look like in the Gospels? Not the hero. The people who doubt. The people who are confused. The people Jesus keeps trying to correct. And yet they write this. These four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell this story. And there is evidence. And the good news is that many people who used to doubt, and they say, I need more evidence, they looked for it with open eyes and an open heart, and they found it, and now, now you believe. That's some of you. Three times in just several, couple paragraphs here, we read Jesus saying the same phrase, four words, peace be with you. He says that, peace be with you. And I want to tell you, if you don't believe, you'll never really find peace. I mean real peace, like completeness, like wholeness, like you're fully okay, like God has brought your insides together. If you don't believe, you'll never find peace. A couple weeks ago, I, I met uh, this man, and when I walked away from our time together, it just immediately struck me, this is the saddest man I've ever met in my life. He used to have a lot of stuff. He used to be on top of the business world, and then he lost it all. And he lost his family, and he was completely confused in every way about who he was and who he would be, and he just came to me so broken, and yeah, he told me that he had just recently allowed, he had one family member, just one that he knew of still, that would talk to him. And this one family member needed a place to stay, so he said, sure, come stay with me. And after two days there, this family member stole all of his stuff and money and left. And so the broken man was now even more broken, more fractured. And uh, he said, I, I knew I should not have let him stay with me. I knew he would do that. And I just wanted somebody to care for me. And that night, I, I listened to him, and I prayed for him. And I encouraged him, and I even was able to meet a few of his physical needs. But I walked away thinking, I am not enough to help this man. I don't have enough to help this man. Only the peace of God can help this man be made whole again. Without believing in Jesus, we'll never truly have peace. I have some great friends uh, Levi and Betsy, who live on the other side of the globe. Some of you know them. And they were telling us about this uh, ancient ritual uh, that is practiced by the people group uh, they serve. And this people group does not know the gospel. They don't know Jesus, and hardly any of them do. And so this ancient practice is a way in which tribes and clans and families try to come to peace in some way. So, for example, if there was a family member uh, here and a family member here and they uh, got into an argument and fight and this one killed the other one, 
then this family would be angry and bitter and trying to plot their revenge, and they might even wait years, but eventually they would find a young man and exact their revenge, and they would kill a young man from this family, and then this family would be angry and upset and bitter and grieving and begin plotting their revenge, and eventually they would go and they would kill somebody from the, and it just goes back and forth for generations sometimes, unless two elders from each family clan come together and they strike a deal, an arrangement called swara. Swara is when the last party to offend the other, the last party who's responsible for stealing or killing or destroying, when that family says, we will give you one of our girls, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. That is swara, and she is, now belongs to your family, and you can do to her as you please, and they often do. And they take her, and when they see her, they're reminded of their brother or their cousin who's dead, and they're angry, so they hit her, and they abuse her, and that is her whole life. That's it. That's how they try to come to peace. And I just think, if only they knew that somebody actually already came to take our punishment, so that if they knew Jesus, then they could come to peace with God and peace with each other. And they could learn, you don't have to give your daughter or your sister away to try to find peace that you can believe in Jesus and he'll bring you peace. Oh, how believing changes everything. And you think, well, that's a really extreme example. But here's the truth. If believing in Jesus has not radically changed your life, you're not really believing in Jesus. It always radically changes our lives. So, if you know me, you probably know that I'm not a piano player, but I have a treat for you this morning. I'm going to try. And so we're going to play a quick game of Name That Tune. And if you don't recognize the tune, it's not because you don't recognize the tune, it's because I've butchered it so badly. So bear with me. Here we go. The first one to shout it out wins. Are we ready for this? Here we go. This may or may not be right. Yes, Beauty and the Beast. You got it. We have some winners here. You can come afterwards to collect your prize. Um, one of my kids was in Beauty and the Beast uh, last year. And so that, you know, like if you have a kid in a play, like the songs are in your head for eternity, just like nonstop. And they're always singing in while they're, you know, we're doing dishes and just, you know how that goes. And many of you have seen the play or you've seen the, you know, the movie or the classic Disney film and all of that. And the, the, the incredible thing when you think about the story of Beauty and the Beast, right, you have the prince and the castle workers, but then there's this terrible curse that comes on them, and the prince becomes this awful beast, and uh, the castle workers become furniture and dishes and all of these things, and they lose their lives that they used to know. And the curse is that they will keep becoming more of a beast or more of a piece of furniture until the last rose petal falls. And the only way they can reverse this curse is if the beast finds true love. And so... Every day they're seeing as the petals drop from the rose. And they're thinking, we are doomed. We are cursed. We're not going to make it. And they see their lives dwindling away with no hope. But if only the beast could find true love, then they would be, here's the word, transformed. Everything changed. 
They would come back to the former glory of who they used to be, where there could be joy and love and happiness and dancing and celebration. They would be exactly who they were created to be. There's a concept called transformatio mundi. It's Latin for the belief that with the arrival of the new heavens and the new earth, all will be fully cleansed, fully transformed, fully renewed, redeemed, perfected. 1 Corinthians 15 says that when Christ returns, death will be swallowed up in victory. Can you imagine all of the death around us, the sickness, the injuries, the wounds, the emotional scars, everything swallowed up in Christ's victory. What's keeping you from believing? What keeps you from embracing Christ? When I walk off the stage here in a few moments, we're going to give you just a few more moments to write on those little cards. What is it that's preventing you from believing? And you can write on that card, and then um, uh, just shortly after that, there's going to be some bags passed. And you can just drop that card in the bag. And as you drop that card, I want to ask you to symbolically let go of what it is that prevents you from believing or what it is that threatens your belief, that sneaks up on you sometimes. Just let go of that card and we'll collect those. But I'm, I'm not done quite yet because we haven't read verse 29. And verse 29 is amazing because Jesus actually talks about you. He talks about me. He's just got done telling Tom, talking to Thomas, but then he says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. That's you. You've not been in the room with Jesus when he came walking in and you physically saw him. Oh, but you've seen him. You've seen enough evidence. You've felt his love. I hope that you've known his power. If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in Jesus, then the very things that matter the most to you, whether that be your job or your sports or your fun stuff or your very family, your health, the very things that matter the most to you, they will one day die and be gone and that's it. If you don't believe in Jesus, that's all you're left with. But if you believe in Jesus, then in this life, you can have joy that doesn't make sense to the people around you. You can have peace that doesn't make sense to the people around you. And one day, when Christ returns, all that is negative in your life, all of the hurt, all of the pain will be swallowed up in victory and you will rise too and be with Christ for eternity. That's the hope that we have on this Easter Sunday morning. It's the hope that we have in Christ. Do you believe?